Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about saving the best and burning the rest. Oh, yes. And today we are not alone. We are joined by good friend of the show, Pastor Lockie Harders. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here, Lock- Lachlan. That's you, my name. <laughs> you, just, you just said two different variations and now we're going to be completely thrown off as to which one we're going to use this which do we choose? time. What about Locko? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right, <laughs> scrap that one, everyone. Yeah, we'll stick with Lockie. No, hey, so good, so good to have you, man. And um, I'm excited about what we're talking about today. Bit of a ecclesiology, good word. Um, but hey, before we get into that, do you want to tell us a little bit about who is Lachlan Harders? It's a great question. Yes, I am a church pastor currently on the Gold Coast. Love, uh, love the South Queensland region, especially the Gold Coast where I am. Beautiful place of the world. Uh, yeah, this is my fourth year there, full-time ministry, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I managed to start just before COVID. So yeah, it was quite an interesting start to ministry. But yeah, I live there uh, with my family. So my younger sister, my parents, my older sister's up there too. She doesn't live with us, but that's kind of a crazy thing because I grew up in Perth. And so the fact that we're all living in Queensland now and I live with my parents is um, pretty awesome. That is like actually amazing. Yeah, I never thought my parents would be members in my church and... It wow! Was, yeah, yeah it was wow. so, so weird. They, did they like but... follow you? Like, did you say, "Hey, I'm I'm moving to be a pastor here," and they all just like, "Hey, let's we all want to go to the Gold Coast." Is that how it happened? <laughs> That's or? what I say happened. It's not what happened. <laughs> oh, <but okay. laughs> like, why are you guys following me? <laughs> nah. So they moved to uh, London at the start of 2020. Okay. They're both teachers, and they wanted to teach and travel. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, with COVID, travel wasn't possible, so Fair. they were kind of uh, stuck in London working, um, and decided to move back to Australia that point, my older sister was in Brisbane. I was on the Gold Coast. The younger sister was at college. So, like, hey, two of the three are settled up here. Let's let's move there instead. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind okay. of crazy. But here we are. And it's, you know, such a blessing to have family uh, in the church with you. Mm. Yeah, doing ministry together. And, um, yeah, I really love it. And this is your first time living in the Gold Coast? Yeah. Like, I, so I moved there in 2020. I yeah. lived, like, in my own place at the time. And yeah, live with them now because it's too expensive to live there. Uh, True that. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. And all the Sydney people said, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool. Um, definitely different, you know, weather wise and having you know, a different ocean to be swimming in. But True. I have yeah. actually, I've never even been to the West Coast of Australia. I've never been to Perth. Yeah. I think I've gotten as far as Adelaide okay. once. But um, yeah. It gets better as you keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, Adelaide. I have no idea yeah, like, what it's like over there, but I hear the beaches in, in Perth are really good. That's all I know mm. about it. I've heard from people who've made the transition that one of the weirdest things to adjust to is the fact that your sun sets and rises in different positions. Like yeah. you've been used to one your entire life and then suddenly it switched. I thought I had a great sense of direction. Like I could just like, like oh, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this yeah. way's north, this way's south. But here, like when the beach is on your right, you're facing north. In the west, it's south. So huh. that was a weird switch I had to make. But you know, a bit of orienteering for you as we get into today's podcast. <laughs> <Our> finders, no, <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yeah, uh, no, awesome. awesome. Um, yeah, so you went through Avondale. Yes. Um, quick plug: you did have a podcast during your time at Avondale. We're going to plug it here. Yeah, the Soul Creative Podcast. If it's still a thing. 
True. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I was cool. kind of inspired by you guys, actually. So I think oh, you wow. started just before and I was like, oh man, right. this is a really cool space to, you know, just create more stuff, you know, continue conversation. It was kind of started as a ministry of salt, which is a Friday night program there. And I wanted to just like bring what was happening there more into the day-to-day life of people and the podcast. I thought it was a cool way to do that. So yeah, just kind of conversations about faith that would bounce off salt and yeah, it's kind of inspired by what you guys did with Burn the Haystack. It's just like, you know what? Let's just give it a crack and see what happens. So, mm. yeah. What we do every time. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's where I first heard of you. I listened to the podcast, right. uh, yeah. the Salt Creative one, a few a few episodes. And um, yeah, and then friend of the show who's been on it before, Josh Stadnick, mm. said, bro, you guys are going to get lucky on the show. He's so awesome. I'm like, yeah, mm. that is podcast. We should. And now we were just hanging out in America. And we're like, yeah. let's make it happen when we get back. And here we are. Here we are. It's crazy. So, what a treat. Yeah. I must admit, Lockie, the first time I ever heard of you was on several different occasions, people coming up to me and going, do you know this guy, Lockie Harders? And I'm like, <laughs> no. And they're like, he reminds me of you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've never met this guy in my life. I don't know how to take this. And um, well, It's funny you say that because like several people when I started college asked me if I was related to you Oh, well. my goodness. <laughs> really? You, you know what's funny? I, I wasn't, you know, wasn't going to bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a Harders. Yes. And I'm actually very distantly related to the Harders because <clears throat> my grandmother was uh, is in Ashmore um, and then the Hardies, which are also in Western Australia, apparently somehow wrapped up with the Harders in some way, shape or form. Very confusing. So I don't think we're like long lost cousins, <laughs> but possibly somewhere along the line there there could be i mean it's the adventist church i mean i really. came here to get away from being related to <laughs> <laughs> i just keep finding relatives everywhere yeah yeah it's chronic oh classic classic adventist well, who church knows? The, who who knows? Knows? yeah wow well, there we go yeah what a treat and we've brought you here today wow. what a beautiful thing in Jesse, we're recording in Jesse's home today. This is true. Not going to say the address, but that's where we're recording. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> so, wait, had you guys met before we walked in the door today? Yeah. We, yeah, we met at Empower, right? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. We may have run into each other at one point sometime in the past. Oh, DDC. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Possibly. DDC. That's it. That pretend yeah. that's the thing I say. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. If, if, you, yeah. if you don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one day. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, hey, should we get into the? We've done. We've done ten minutes of our usual bar. No, our preamble. <laughs> preamble is over pre- now. Now for what everybody's here for. I was actually really um, fascinated because I know you know you two have been talking about this for a little while, but I'm the person who you know I'm not so familiar. So when Josh showed me some of the ideas that you were mulling over and we're going to talk about today, I was intrigued. A low ecclesiology. Yeah. Tell tell us what what does that mean? Okay, can I can I share briefly how I got to this space? Please. Yeah. So yeah. for context, I'm the kind of person and like have been throughout my life where, um, like particularly in church land, like if stuff isn't going well or like it's feels broken in inverted commas, um, I try to fix it. I don't try and like run away usually, um, which I'm conscious like that isn't everyone. Um, doesn't make me necessarily a better person or whatever because sometimes you know you need to let things go. <laughs> But no, no. So uh, basically a few months ago was just like at a church event and um, someone was sharing and kind of like the way they were talking and discussing the topic of the church, um, you know, like our, our lived experience in community with Jesus um, was like pretty like negative overall, you know, and it's 
I started to realize that it's not the first time I've heard that kind of discussion around church, that um, there's kind of this preconceived idea for many in, in our generation um, that there's stuff wrong with, with church, that it's broken, that, um, yeah, just there's all this stuff going on around it that leads us to a place, I think, where the assumption is that um, we don't see the church in a particularly positive or really good light. So when I say a low ecclesiology, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. And the reason that like, it, it kind of jumped out to me was that um, that hasn't been true from my experience. Right? I've, I've been so fortunate, I know, uh, to, to have grown up in a really supportive church that loved me, that empowered me, that you know, trained me, discipled me, you know, released me to do some pretty wild things that I'd probably be scared to let a teenager do um, <laughs> in the name of the church. Yeah, but yeah. by and large, I've had like a really awesome experience in church, you know, and I, and I recognize this, you know, definitely uh, occasions when things don't go well and people have really bad experiences. But, you know, I, I was chatting with people at our summer camps this year in Queensland and at several other events that I've been to just about their experience in church has it been positive, negative, you know. And I found that this kind of, um, what should I call it, mental model, so to speak, that um, this generation has inherited isn't necessarily ringing true with their experience in church. So by and large, it's been quite positive. Um, and whether that's a response to previous generations having a bad experience and saying, right, we want to create a really good experience for the next generation. It's just been a bit of like carryover of that lower view of the church. So when I say ecclesiology, what I mean is like how we, how we process, understand, experience uh, our, our idea of church, right? And so when I say a low ecclesiology, that's kind of what I'm speaking into, right? That it's, we have like a low view of it. So that's kind of where, that's how I came to this, yeah. I guess when I'm thinking about that, there, there's such a contrasting, yeah, spectrum of experience, you know. Many of us grew up having bad experiences in church, you know. I, I remember being told off for just talking to my friends in the sanctuary, you know. You're not allowed to actually be, like this is, I guess that's sort of more of an example of a higher ecclesiology or... I don't even know what to call that. Yeah. You know, like there's this sacred thing that we have that we have to safeguard and we have to care for it and we have to make sure that nobody transgresses the holy boundaries of the thing that it is. But then what's funny is that in some ways that kind of crosses over to become a low ecclesiology for the people that are on the other end, like, you know, myself as a kid being like, well, why? you know, <laughs> and, and then having those negative experiences or that, that negative connotation toward the thing, um, as it were. Interesting. So in some ways, it's almost like a high view of ecclesiology can sometimes translate into a low view, depending on who is in the conversation. Yeah, that's complex for sure. And I haven't arrived on these ideas either. I'm just, these are just things I've been thinking over and I feel like God's been really putting on my heart recently. And I've been like, cause I was trying to work through, you know, what are the things that have contributed to this? What kind of factors have like fed into this kind of combined mindset? Um, I think like the first one obviously is like in the family, like if, if you have parents who've grown up in church or had negative experiences, a lot of that can be like caught from parents, right? Is you know, and I, like, I know my, my parents as well, you know, they still love church and attend church, but they've had negative experiences as well that I know about. Um, and I think, you know, it's, maybe it's like some sort of generational theory or something, you know, when like every generation is a response against the previous one. Um, I don't know if that's an aspect that contributes to it. But yeah, I think that's definitely one one thing that's, yeah, added, added into that too. Yeah. Well, I think I, I almost wonder and I'm not a psychologist, so I can't really, I don't know, but I, get, I almost wonder if there's like a subconscious thing where 
like one generation kind of wants the next generation to see the church the same way they do. So if they have this like negative picture of the church, they almost like subconsciously want to pass it on and make them have the same language so that they feel like they're on the same page. Um, like, mm. you know what I mean? Like mm. I, I've heard people talk down church a lot and in my head I'm like, I get that you're like giving me like a, a bit of your lived experience, but don't you want me to like enjoy this thing? Like, right. you know, like this thing that you choose, to, we all choose to be a part of every week. Like, why are you talking about it like this? Like, why are you here if this is what you think? Um, and, I, you know, I get that sometimes we have those negative experiences, but we still love it. In, yeah. In and I found but, yeah. for me, like, it felt almost like spiritually disorienting because mm. I was like, I, I love God and I love, you know, what I read about the church and scripture and having had some really positive experiences and, you know, some bad experiences as well. But, you know, if, if the extent of the discourse we hear from the pulpit or whatever, whatever platform it is, is really negative, it can be spiritually disorienting because, like, mm. well, hang on. Like, am I, like, living in a bubble? Am I completely mm. just removed from reality? Like, mm. you know, uh, is everything worth being cynical about? Is there anything good to hold on to, you know? Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, kind of wow, a spiral yeah. you go down. Yeah. And it can get really disorienting spiritually. It's massive. And, yeah, the more, the more like, I think about it and, like, we talk about it, the more I'm thinking of, like, incidences that I've had. Like, even from mm. when I first started coming back to the church, um, you know, like, when I was a teenager and I decided to start coming back and... I don't know, just hearing, like, there's one comment I remember being, like, you know, it was this one I was sort of come back and somebody just, like, talked about the church and they just said, oh, it's just full of hypocrites. And I was just like, what? Like, do I want to be here? Like, why would, he, why would they, like, is it? And I remember asking my mom, and they're like, oh, they're just angry. They've just had bad experiences. I'm like, and I'm like this is my, my fourth week here. Why would they say that? <laughs> you know, like, mm. yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's that's an interesting springboard to go off because, like, we're talking about, inherited ideas from previous generations and i know like there's a possibility this conversation could become very vague you know and you know, ethereal so in your mind your experience perhaps what have been some of the inherited ideas that you have observed in in the church community you're part of yeah um so so one is that it's too hard to uh do anything through the local church and by do anything, I mean like ministry, outreach, um, bringing friends along, you know, and some of those are validated. Um, but yeah, others, I think you know, you've got to give things a go as well and try. And if it's something you really value and want, um, you're going you're gonna to have those conversations and, you know, put in that time and effort to try and, yeah, and, and do it. I'm really struggling to not just think of all the times when I've tried to do stuff. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to be part of the problem that you're talking about. Yeah. But at the same time, I also, we, I think we have to recognize that in some churches that's it's not safe to do things. But in other churches, it is. And so we shouldn't paint with too broad a brush. Mm. Um, or even even in some churches, I would say, like in some churches, it's not necessarily not safe, but there's different ways you have to go about yes. bringing new things. Yes. Some, it's like you feel like you have to jump over so many. Yep. There's hurdles, the gatekeepers. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Whereas other churches, it's kind of easier to get things off the ground. Right. You know, so I guess. Right. It, but we, we, yeah, like you're saying, like we can end up painting with a broad brush and making all churches the same, but they're not. Every church is individual. And I guess this is another part of it too. Like people 
in our denomination move around churches a bit. You know, they move to a new city or whatever. Um, and then they bring their previous perceptions of their old church and they bring that to the new church and assume it's the same. And then they can pass that perception on and it can become, yeah, that's interesting. I, what do you mean, Josh? Yeah. I just see everything the way it is. You know, there's no, there's no perceptions. There's no, there's no lens. This is just how things are. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, like where I see this conversation going is like, we have to reflect on what is the cost of having a low view of, of church, right? As individuals, as communities, what's the cost of that? You know, what kind of impact does that have on our own experience with Jesus and the kind of impact that has on people that may be searching, right? Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of like where my thought has, has stopped. Not, not stopped, but that's kind of where I've camped out and just been thinking and processing because, you know, if, if the church is the hope of the world, if it's, if it's still the thing that Jesus has said, I want you guys to take the good news to the world through, like, man, we, we gotta, we got to check ourselves and make sure that we do see the church with value, you know, and do see goodness in it. And not like a blind, ignorant kind of goodness, but one that says, you know what, as broken and messed up as people are, right? Mm. <laughs> because that's what effectively what makes up the church. Um, there's still hope in Jesus to, to see things happen, you know, for the growth of his kingdom. Um, Kind of reminds me of um, you guys. Have you guys ever heard of um, Soren Kierkegaard's uh, little story that he tells about Ducktown? No. Tell us, it's, scholar. It's, it's very bizarre. I actually saw this on Facebook, so um, I so you know it's true. I know it's, no, <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, reportedly, Soren Kierkegaard um, once in in one of his books um, tells a story about. Um, this little duck town and where all the ducks live and they go to duck work and they go to duck play school, <laughs> preschool. adorable. Yeah, they, okay, yeah, they go to duck school, all this sort of stuff. And then yeah. on Sundays, obviously, they go to duck church. Mm. And so they go into this little church and the duck preacher gets up on his duck pulpit. I don't know. And he says, <laughs> you know, you know, God has made every one of you unique and special. He's he's created you to soar high like an eagle. He's created you to, you know change the world, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the service, the duck preacher goes to the, the door of the church and he shakes the wings, I guess, <laughs> of, all, of, all, of, all the, of all the duck parishioners. And they say, thank you, Pastor. What an amazing, inspiring uh, sermon. And they all waddle home to their duck homes. We come to church sometimes and we you know, raise a bit of a hullabaloo, perhaps, and we all go, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, wonderful. And then we go home and pretend as if none of it really mattered or meant anything yeah. in reality. Yeah, yeah. So maybe the problem is less than uh, a perception of the church, you know, being low, but just a lived experience mm. of not really experiencing the fullness of, of Jesus in church. Mm. Wow. That's confronting. Yeah. I thought uh, I thought that was all a big setup to do that, like give us our daily bread joke or whatever. You know? <laughs> that's, that's honestly where I thought you were going with the dark thing. Um, yeah. So what are all right? So we've talked a bit about um, parents and communities of faith. Um, I guess inheriting ideas. Are there other factors that are contributing to maybe this generation's low ecclesiology, like low view of the church yeah. at the moment that you think? 
Yeah, one one that I think. Uh, obviously, I'm not an expert on the entire generation. Um, but <laughs> Come on, yeah. give yourself some credit. Mate. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, in in my generation, there's a lot of like anti-organizational kind of individualistic, go your own way kind of um, mindset. And I think all of that feeds into something which like pushes away from the idea of leaning into a community of people and uh, committing to a group of people, right? And, and I think it's definitely something that contributes to this because, yeah, like the church is made up of human beings, right? Who, yeah, maybe love Jesus and follow Jesus, but are still broken in their own way. And, you know, praise God, there's healing and there's, uh, there's oneness and there's unity that's possible in those communities. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's something that I think prevents a lot of younger people from really leaning in and saying, you know what, in spite of all this, I'm still going to commit. You know, and, and you see symptoms of that in like floating around churches even or, um, yeah, not necessarily committing to a weekly church attendance of, of some description. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a factor that, that pays into that. What do you guys think? Is that something that you see? Is it oh, that individualism, yeah. that pushing back against organization? Oh, yeah. I think like with the, like in the last 20 years or whatever all the problems that have come out of you know all the massive organizations that yeah. have been shown to be absolutely corrupt yeah. and <laughs> yeah. churches are being a part of that sometime you know in yeah. australia obviously there's big issues around that in the last last decade so it's kind of like i see it and i can kind of see why there's that yeah, that anti-establishment sort of thinking going on, and everybody sort of wants this grass grassroots movements, little little things. Want to support small business, which isn't bad necessarily, but it's just that distrust of yeah. the corporation, distrust of the. So it almost feels like ignorant to, like, opt in to something like an organized church, right? Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because, like, my perspective is now. I'm a lot closer to the hierarchy than I was, you know, a year ago when I was a pastor, you know, local church pastor, because now I work for one of the entities of the church and, you know, my wife works very even closer. And so we get to see a lot of the, a lot of the, not all of the, a lot of the inner workings of the decisions that get made, how the decisions get made, why certain things are the way they are. And the thing that I've come to realize, which I didn't realize beforehand, perhaps, was that most people just don't know what happens in the mm. buildings up the road from where I live, you know, where yeah. all the, the movers and shakers are, where the, the budgets get passed, where the projects get greenlit or get redlit, you know, or, you know, whatever. So much of what affects our region of the church happens in those buildings and most people just don't know about it or they don't care enough to know about it. So I'm not going to, you know, it's not an onus on, well, the church should communicate and be more transparent. Maybe it should. But at the same time, I think that because our particular denomination, our particular denomination is very hierarchical in nature, there, uh, there, there comes a, a level where I think people just go, I, there's too much. I just can't care enough about it to be interested in everything that's that's going on all the time, um, mm. which is difficult. Um, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I see it even at a local level, like sitting on a church board and having discussions about complex things and trying to make decisions. 
um, and like you have church members who might say, "Oh, why did you make that decision?" and being like critical of it or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe they're like, "Oh, it's a great decision," you know. But it's <laughs> they don't know the conversation that's been had, right? Yeah. And, um, and you can't share it really. You know, yeah, not really. Like, yeah, <laughs> if, it's, if it's a sensitive issue, they kind yeah. of just have to be like. This is a decision. We did the best we could with the information, you know, mm, yeah. and I can't go much deeper because it's not fair. Yeah. Like and so, if that's the case on a local yeah. level, I can't, you know, I can't even fathom, you know, like you guys are making huge decisions, you know, in the division office, and you know, um, I think that's where it comes to like looking at, okay, well, well, why is it that we ended up here? You know, how did our church organization end up here? You know, and, and I did mm. some reading like through like Lightbearers, which was one of our books that we had at college and mm. just looking at how much of a priority mission was um, mm. at, the, at the outset of um, the foundation of this particular denomination right mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's inspiring to look at that and be like you know what like this is why we've ended up here is because people have tried to make decisions that are based around okay how can we bring the gospel to the most people possible um, these are the conclusions they came to mm. given the information they had at the time and yeah I guess it's then a question of okay, well, does it still serve us? What does that mean for us now? Mm. You know, and um, I guess if we have a low view of the church and we don't care enough to buy in, we're not going to be able to be a part of making things better. Mm. Yeah, because we just sit on the sidelines, critically. Yeah, rather than actually <laughs> trying to be like, okay, let's let's talk about it. Let's let's try and make it better. Yeah, yeah. look, I'd say there are definitely a couple of people who do that. But no. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and I think I think yeah, it's it's so on point. Like we kind of have. We kind of have some dated systems, I think, that need to be updated, but they're very difficult because they're such a large scale. They're quite hard to update. And I think a lot of people who would like to see them updated, um, who probably would have good insight into how to update them, aren't engaged enough <laughs> be to you know, be a part of the conversation. Um, and I don't know, sometimes there's a lot of just outrage and drama around the way the church works again, but they don't actually know how it really works and... Yeah, like I'm not saying it's perfect or anything. There are problems and things that need to be changed. But, you know, like you've got a whole lot of people who are just doing the best they can, really, and trying to do the best by everybody. And it's, it's complicated. Like it's such a, it's such a big system um, that it's become complicated to change. And there's beauty in the big system. Like the fact that, you know, we were just over in the States at the moment and like, I don't know, I went for a little like little tiki tour of one of the conference offices there over in Oregon. And it was awesome. But the fact that like, oh, this is this room. And I'm like, instantly, I already knew everything they did with that room, you know, because I'm like, this is where we do our camp meetings. And I'm like, oh, we did the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's so many things that are parallel that it's kind of awesome that we kind of have these same things that are, I don't know, like the way things work. Like I could go across the world and, you know, potentially know people in another church all across the world and yeah, find community and find similarities with them. Um, and I think that's kind of beautiful in a way. Um, obviously, it comes with its own problems, but that's that's kind of where my brain's at with this. It's um, yeah, I think it's easy to be cynical about the system, but also, I think it's, I think it's it's, it's too easy, in the sense that the system has to exist in as a necessary evil in some way. <laughs> I mean, it, necessary evil might not be the best word to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I know, I know what you mean. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what we do couldn't be done if we were not organized as we are. Yes, yes. And if the ideal, if, if what the ideal we're talking about is a grassroots system similar to an Acts chapter two mm. sort of model that everybody seems to idolize, yeah. um, then I don't know that we could actually maintain that. No, I don't. 
think we cannot maintain that (laughs) in perpetuity because the church couldn't maintain that in the first century and the Adventist church couldn't maintain that in the 19th century, which is why we have what we have today, which is a system of conferences and unions and divisions all leading back to the general conference. Yep. Amen, hallelujah, and um, <laughs> it's it's not it's not the perfect system. It's not, yep. I think, in many ways, a great system, but it's the system that we have. And as you yep. both illustrated, it's the system that actually facilitates a lot of really good things. Yeah, can I give you one example, please? So uh, I love summer camps. They're one of the, I think, one of the most amazing ministries we have as a church. In pretty Australia. awesome. Yeah. Um, and and I serve in South Queensland. Our summer camps each year, and I was actually having this conversation as well that we're having right now with one of my church members when we were at Camp Arie. I'm just like, man, how incredible is this that we can like set up an event for like 3,000 people to come to, mm. worship Jesus together from all over the country and camp out in one of the most beautiful places in the country. You know, just amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, summer camps, um, obviously a very organized thing, relies on a lot of volunteers uh, summer camps would suck if it was just the youth directors and pastors there. Like, <laughs> as great and amazing as they are, like, can you imagine, like, yeah, oh, you know, man. two or three yeah. people running something for 120 kids? Like, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't work. Um, and so, yeah, relying on all these volunteers from all these different churches being brought together under a common cause of helping these young kids have an awesome time and have so much fun experiencing Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. I think that's a, a beautiful picture of what um, what church can be, mm. right? Obviously, it's not sustainable <laughs> long term. Like we couldn't live at summer camp. It's like, well, some would, people would love that. Yeah. Yeah. They've yeah. tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But just like so, just to share, I know like stats are this and that, whatever. Um, but from the three weeks of camps we had in South Queensland this year, mm. we had um, 106 kids who asked to be prayed with, right? Which is significant because a lot of these kids don't have an active prayer life or mm. aren't from families of faith, right? And so to ask to be prayed for is something that's really powerful. Um, 123 kids asked for Bible studies. 50 of them asked to serve in their local churches. Mm. Obviously, these are big numbers and we're a big conference, so we're able to, to get those. But like, I think those kind of events that are 100% reliant on an organized church to happen yeah. Yeah. Um, show that you know, there's, there's ways that this works in incredible ways to grow the kingdom of God. Yeah. I think of my own faith experience. I made a decision to follow Jesus at a summer camp. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, I awesome. had a, yeah. an organized event. <laughs> I was like yeah. 12 years old, I think, 11 yeah. years old. Made a commitment to him there, decided I wanted to be baptized. And that was all facilitated through an organized system. You know, mm-hmm. So I think that we, yeah, if, 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 the, if the extent of our conversation and dialogue is all negative, I think we're kind of missing the point because you can also leverage you know, the good things to say, hey, look, God is moving in such a powerful way. I mean, we, we met one guy on this trip who he works in uh, Papua New Guinea, and he said that, was it 6,000 churches? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've that, planted, that, six... planted 6,000 churches in like the last... I can't remember how long it, it was. It was yeah. not long. Yeah. <laughs> it was right, like right. three or four years or something. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, yeah. And there's actually more, but they only count, they only count, no, wait. I think he they, said one thousand up the front. Yeah, but he didn't want to say that it was actually about six thousand. Because they only <laughs> count it if they've got a roof. If they don't have a roof, it's not counted. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like seriously, that's the way they like it's count an it. Open yeah, air yeah. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the crazy. other five thousand, they're like, oh, they don't, yeah. they don't count. Or and so, like here yeah, in Australia, like Papua New Guinea is in the same division as yeah. us in the Adventist Church. So, like, we send a lot of money and resources to to yeah. out there and. There's incredible things happening for the kingdom there. Yeah. Mm. And how is that made possible? By being organized, by having mm. a, a giving system where we can say, hey, this is where money can go. 
Um, so I think there's definitely awesome things about it. It's not perfect. Mm. I'm not going to pretend that. Mm. Um, but I think there's, uh, there is value in opting in and saying, you know what, let's focus on what's good. Let's save yeah. the best. Oh, and? Oh, nice. <laughs> what a veteran. <laughs> All right. So factors um, contributing to it. We've talked about inherited ideas. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the sort of anti-establishment organization mindset kind of going on at the moment. Mm. Anything else? Or do we, we keep, we, we move on? Yeah, I mean, I think the stories that are told as well kind of comes from like family, but also, you know, what you hear from the front. I mean, it, it's at the point where for a lot of people, it's not even like, a surprise it just becomes an assumption that we have a low view of church mm. and how people are going to experience it mm-hmm. um, and that's i think that's actually the, at the heart of this like low ecclesiology issue mm. that i have this gripe that i have is that we're just assuming from the get-go that things are going to be wrong it's going to be hard mm-hmm. and probably not worth your while mm. yeah, well. and if that's what christians are saying like we're <laughs> yeah. supposed to be the there any hope? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I just like man we need to just reframe how we see church how we see our place in it um and not be blind to the realities of being a part of a large organization mm. but also just say you know what let's let's really do our best to be a positive contributor towards it Mm. To call out the really good stuff, to tell stories of how God's moving in powerful ways, to speak things up. Because that's probably going to be a catalyst for people to say, well, actually, this wasn't my experience. Mm. And what an awesome chance then for us to say, well, I'm really sorry. Let's talk through that. You know, let's, mm. let's try and make your, your time in church better. Mm. Yeah. So talk us through that vision a little bit. Like, would you... Would you consider a high ecclesiology to be the ideal or is there some other terminology that you would maybe use? I, I don't, maybe you would. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like you mentioned at the start, having a really high ecclesiology can also be like, yeah. you know, you want to protect it and guard it and then yeah. kind of do or say things that undermine having a high ecclesiology to yeah. start with. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure on that. One story that like inspired me in, in this regard was um, it was shared with me by this guy from church. I was chatting with this about at Camporee and he was telling me that in like 2017 or thereabouts, um, the NRL, National Rugby League here in Australia, it's a sport. I never followed it growing up because I think no one south of Sydney in Australia actually cares about it. <laughs> yeah. It's just a theory. Yeah, I'm joking. I, live in, I live in Queensland now and everyone's obsessed with it. So yeah, yeah. you have to you know, um, become all things to them. But <laughs> no, so uh, NRL was in an interesting spot because you know the crowds weren't necessarily growing, attendance wasn't growing like they'd hoped. Um, the media was just constantly tearing down the game. Um, players, you know, all the bad stuff that they were doing was being poked mm. up in front of everyone for people to see, mm. and it even the fans as well. Like most of the conversation they were having, this is very generalized, by the way. But most yeah. of the conversation they were having was like talking down the NRL, talking about all the problems. This is what's wrong with it. This is why it's broken, whatever. Um, and I, I can't remember the exact... I actually saw the tweet once. I can't remember exactly what it said. Um, but the like commissioner or the general, whatever you call it, the main leader of the NRL organization um, basically put this tweet out there and said, you know, for all its faults, everything that's wrong with it, it's still the game that we love. And he did this hashtag, talk up the game. Mm. And... That went viral 
mm. and basically became a, a part from that point of how a lot of NRL fans started talking about NRL. And I actually noticed it because I used to like, I used to love it when NRL fans would talk down the game to each other because I'm like, yeah, yeah it feels better. That's yeah. why. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. But I, I did actually notice during my time at Avondale because it was during that time that all this happened that the, the actual discourse from my friends about NRL started to shift. Wow. Yeah, which I, I, I had no idea about this thing either. Mm. But what I've noticed now living in Queensland, and it might be because, you know, everyone there go, like follows NRL, but um, by and large, a lot of the discussion people have about NRL is they're talking about things they love. They're talking about players they love. They're talking about moments in the game that they love, right? So it's almost like the culture amongst fans in the NRL has shifted towards one that talks up the game. Wow. Which is so fascinating. I just, I, as I heard that story, I thought, man, wouldn't that be just so awesome in, in church if we really like focused on that and thought, you know what? There's some awesome things about my local church, mm-hmm. you know, like we have just some really beautiful older people who just always want to be a part of my life, always want yeah. to care for me. Um, I've got some really great friends who love Jesus and I've been able to meet them through the church. You know? mm. um, I mean, even just for yourself and, and myself, Josh, like having you know, an opportunity to travel overseas and be a part of worshipping in a room with like 5,000 pastors and leaders yeah. from around the world. Um, coming together under the name of Jesus and being able to do that, you know, effectively on, on the back of the church who, who had the sponsor a good portion of that trip. It's yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And even to be able to like come together and sing the same songs, like we yeah. know the songs or whatever, you know, like, well, we need like half of them, but you know, like still like, <laughs> just like we all sing these same songs in our churches and we yeah. know them. Like, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. pretty powerful. Mm. Yeah, so I think there's definitely something to this idea of talking up the game, not that church is a game, but that you know that kind of thing, right? The shared, the shared yeah. reality that we we all love and we can all identify with. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're not talking up an organised church, right? No. We're talking up Jesus. Oh, and we can never talk him up enough, right? Mm. Like honestly, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You can't yeah. talk up Jesus enough, and I think the gospel. Yeah, warrants being talked up about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I it's think the best news ever. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think people do talk up, oh, generally, people talk up Jesus, people talk up the gospel. Mm. Um, but there's a disconnect between, like, that that vision of the gospel and, and like, what the church has to do with it and mm. why the church is important. Yeah. And so, like, I think... Uh, yeah, I would actually say we do probably need to you know, hashtag talk up the church <laughs> because, <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's, I don't know. I think it, I think it is important at the moment. There is like a lot of um, bad talk about yeah. not just the Seventh Day Adventist Church, but, but just like church just general. church in general. Like, yeah. Yeah. so many people have such a low view of it. Like, and it's I think it's a big problem. Like, like what you're saying with the NRL. Like, mm. if even the fans are talking down the game, like, why would somebody who's not a fan while they're yeah. watching it. Yeah. Um, you know. It's validated what I already thought to be true. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I, I enjoy I enjoy watching some NRL from time what? to time now. What? Wow. Like, I know. Wow. Send okay. help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I think, like, why would somebody, why would somebody outside, I don't know, and so, like, why would somebody outside the church ever want to come if all you're doing is, like, talking down your church the whole time? And, yeah, like, we do need to be honest with the problems and the issues, but mm. I don't know. I think it can be really easy to just focus on the problems. And I think we can do it like the cynical side of humanity. We Mm. can do it with everything. Mm. Um, I remember when um, Jesse and I first 
kind of became good friends in New Zealand. We were both playing um, Hearthstone a lot of the time. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> That's kind of how we... Um, <laughs> it was a dark time. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. But I remember sort of towards the end, we, like, every time we would talk about it, we just was slamming all the problems with yep. the game. Even though we both probably enjoyed it to a level. We did. But we ended up forcing ourselves to quit with the end, which is which was a net it was, po- a it net was, positive. <laughs> it was a healthy thing for both of us, especially yeah, yeah. me and my addictive personality. Right. But yeah, like every time we'd go online and look at Reddit or whatever about about Hearthstone about the game, like yeah. every bit of discourse was so negative. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. And so it was kinda easy to give up yeah in the end, you know it's like, like say, it's like saying nobody hates star wars more than star wars fans yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? it's true, true. <laughs> it is true as a devout star wars fan you are absolutely correct <laughs> so that's why that's why honestly that's why i don't go on any star wars forums anymore yeah i don't do it i just i just watch the movies shows and just retain my own thoughts about it and i don't want to know what anybody else says you know, this may be yeah. like a very reductionistic comparison, but it's almost like saying that Christianity has the most toxic fan base. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Who's more toxic, the Star Wars fan base or the Christianity fan base? I'm just still going to go with Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll edit that part out. Yeah. To say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I think. I think if, if we're excited about the church, I think it would create a new sort of momentum. Yeah, um, I think it's also a, a factor of being excited about mission again, being excited mm-hmm. about ministry, and yeah. maybe maybe like COVID's impact that a little bit. You know, just mm. um, becoming a bit more insular in our thinking. Maybe you know, protect myself, my family, which good things as well. Yep, um, but can come at the expense of opening the doors again and mm. just inviting yep. people in. And yeah, that's you know, I think if we reawaken that heart for you know our own personal love for Jesus and sharing Him with the world, mm. you know, this is going to be something that's really adding value to that yeah i think it is easy to lose track of what the main thing is when you're going to church week after week and you're with the same people Mm. doing the same things and you're not seeing people grow Mm. to see people become more like jesus Mm. i think the thing that really rocked my world was when i was leading a small group um you know years ago and some random uh co-worker of one of our members was invited to the group and everybody was like I don't know what to do. <laughs> a, normal, normal. A, a normal person is coming to our small group. Oh no, guys, don't be weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were like really nervous and really awkward about it. But yeah. then he kept on coming back and kept wow. on coming back and kept wow. on coming back. And he's actually, he's, he's not a pastor, but he's working as like a part-time pastor <laughs> for the church that I was a part of at the time. Like he's, wow. he, you know, fell in love with Jesus. He was yeah. baptized. He ended up, marrying the co-worker who brought him along to the small group so there was also a really nice little cute story there um and i was like whoa i just saw somebody go from death to life you know from no hope to hope in jesus to you know eternal life and um you know life right now and it's like a slap in the face yeah. when that happens when you actually see somebody change and actually yeah. see the power of god at work in somebody's life and it's like oh yeah that's why we're doing all this yeah who knew yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah and i have a really similar story and i'm sure like others do as well and like these stories are happening yes. in our churches yes like and we talk we need to talk about them more and just yes. say hey this is the amazing way god's working and yeah it's so good yeah it's so good and yeah. maybe maybe there's something there that the people who are really cynical haven't maybe, and this is a generalization, 
or like they haven't been a part of those like missional yeah. opportunities. And yeah. I think when you're not actually, when you're not a part of like the reason that the church exists, like when you're not being actively being a part and like when you get too insular and you're just like kind of in the, in the mess of church, I guess, and you're not like having those stories, having those moments where you're seeing people come to Jesus or seeing people with it, like have a changed heart or even seeing somebody who has been a long-term like follower of Jesus actually like continue to change their life. Mm. Um, like when you're a part of seeing that, you just can't help but be like, oh my goodness, like yeah. all that, this is so worth it. Like this is yeah. so worth everything and this is what I want to focus on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so maybe... Which is weird. It's hard to it's hard to convince somebody who is cynical and maybe a bit fed up with church to be like, "Hey, just engage, man. Just do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. just jump in and be like, yeah. be the forefront of the mission." But honestly, if you do it, you'll get excited about it again. I just I don't know. Like, how can you not be? It's yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, I don't want to throw a spanner in the works here. Uh oh, send it. How can we balance this? Keeping the main thing the main thing. How can we balance balance this? Uh, maybe not like overwhelming positivity in every sense of the word, but how can we balance that really really positive uh, attitude with accountability mm. and recognizing yeah. where the church has actually stuffed up? Because the reality is, the church has and will continue to stuff up. Yeah. In the future, yeah. Actually, I have thoughts on this. I think um, the the biggest thing is we need to make sure we differentiate um, being critical with thinking critically. Ooh. Right? Yeah, someone write that down. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think one of them is um, very uh, redactive, or I don't know what the word is there. The other one is um, more redemptive. Yeah. Oh. So if you think critically about something, I can think critically about you know a song. Right, with the intention of making it better. Mm-hmm. Or I can be critical and talk about all the things that are wrong with it. Right, And I think we camp out too much in the space of being critical and not enough in the space of thinking critically. Mm. Um, and, and then we disguise the criticism <laughs> as, yeah. oh, I'm just being... I'm Critic- just thinking critically, I'm just right? thinking yes. critically, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you don't actually have a heart to see it be better, then you're just being critical, right? Wow. So that's that's my thoughts on it and it's something that, you know, has really informed the way I've tried to talk about this and think about this. I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to say, oh, this is the this is all our parents' fault that we all think bad of the church. You mm. know? Or this is mm. all the young people's fault because they're so individualistic, you know? <laughs> yes. I don't I don't want that to be the takeaway from this. What I desire to be the takeaway is that yes. people would come out with this with a heart to say, you know what, I want to make this better. Mm. And I, I'm willing to have those tough conversations mm. and celebrate what's awesome. Um, but I don't just want to stop at talking about the bad stuff. I want to go further than that. Mm. and see awesome things happen mm. for the kingdom in my local community. I think we might we might have a little bit of a problem with like theologically like we sometimes have a tendency to not be very optimistic. <laughs> like ultimately optimistic because you know Jesus is coming again that's the best news but mm. like before that it's going to get bad 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 worse mm. worse worse worse. Yeah. So we just assume sort of that that means the church is just it's just on the downhill. You know what I mean? Like that's and then also, I don't think that's correct theology, but I think that's sometimes how we can equate it. So what yeah. were you gonna say? No, no, that's good. I was just also gonna say sometimes we also try and differentiate between the good church and the bad church. Ooh. We're part of the good church. But, oh well, you know, some of those people over like there. Exclusive sort of Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're doing the right thing. 
But all oh, those people in the next suburb, uh, they ain't doing it right, man. <laughs> they aren't eating vegan feta cheese. <laughs> Yeah, the true might. feta cheese. <laughs> it's, it's very specific. <laughs> I realise now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they've got a guitar in worship. And again, I guess it comes back to that uh, being critical versus critical thinking. Mm. Uh, I remember very early on in my ministry, there were people who would just solicit all sorts of, um, well, unsolicited advice um, <laughs> about how I should be doing things, you know, whether it's a sermon or a Bible study or whatever, the, the direction of the church. Sometimes it was helpful. Most of the times it probably wasn't. But then there were those individual people, those elders, you know, um, you know, maybe not a church elder sometimes, but somebody who actually had my best interests at heart. And they're the ones who you want to receive critical feedback from. People mm. actually want good for you. Yeah. And it's really hard to receive that if yeah. there's no relationship yeah. in, in it, you know. And that's why I think it's worth investing in a community. Because it doesn't just earn you a voice, but it places you in a space where you can have conversations with people who care about you and you care about, and you can talk about the church that you care about yeah. and how to make it better. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's to bring this book up for like the third week in a row. Thrivers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I did I, I finished it just so you know everybody. Oh, but one update. of the one Good of the work. one of the characteristics of a thriver, and I think I brought this up. I can't remember the last episode, but about like how one of those characteristics to live a thriving life is about optimism which i was surprised at because people often like have a go at me for being too optimistic sounds like saying an optimist would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and you know it's not necessarily blind optimism but like i just love the idea you can actually train your mind to be more optimistic you can train like it's not a natural um predisposition you actually can train yourself to be more optimistic and i think we have like you know, while we were while we we're in the states, one thing Lockie and I learned about was like there's intentional spiritual formation and unintentional spiritual spiritual formation. You are always being spiritually formed, but you can intentionally do it, or you can yeah. just let the world and the like way we're becoming life. like. Yeah. We're always becoming like someone or something. Yeah, where our time, money, priorities end up. Yeah. yeah, and I think unfortunately, like we've naturally kind of gotten this very cynical, um, you know disposition to our like the way we view the church and spirituality and i think we can actually it is possible to train yourself and to train change the way you think to you know still think critically but actually believe that things can get better things can change that you know the world can be impacted because like even if the world falls apart like i mean wake up call the church has always done its best in times of persecution <laughs> the times when we have like flatlined is during times when we're comfortable so like even if the world falls apart like the church is going to be okay and maybe you're just like josh stop being such an optimist right now i'm giving you straight facts ladies and gentlemen straight facts you know it's true because you read it in a book uh, yeah i saw it on facebook once no no but genuinely look at church history yeah um, yeah and so i think um i don't know like can we can we bring that that um that optimistic faith back even just to our local church or your local ministries like believe things you know what like maybe maybe if we really invest in this it'll actually get better in like a year in like a few months like maybe if i really invest in this young person their life will actually turn around like maybe if i actually go and be a part of the elder team at my church like they've asked me to maybe i can actually make a positive difference you know like 
maybe if I sit on that executive committee for my conference or whatever, like maybe I could, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Okay, like, that's too far. I'm like, I think that conscious, consciously tra- training the way we think to think about a church, not with blind optimism, but with genuine, genuine mm. belief that God will, can and will work in and through us. Yeah. See, even if it doesn't happen right now, as you mentioned before, Jesus is coming soon. It's going to be yeah. awesome. You're the best. It's not a joke. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, Lucky, we're almost there. Yeah. What else? Is there anything else that you want to share about this before we bring this combo to an end? Nothing new. I just want to reiterate. You know, my my desire is to see local churches thrive. You know, people love their church mm. um, to genuinely have great experiences there. It's what I desire for, you know, my church on the Gold Coast. And that's what I hope that people get to experience. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I don't quite know how to get there in every situation. Mm. Um, but like Josh, I'm a bit of an optimist as well. You know, and um, I'm just comforted by, you know, the, the words of Jesus where he says, you know, the powers of hell will not prevail oh. against his church. Preach it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I reflect as well on Paul's words, Second Corinthians five, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Um, and what's so interesting is that, like, the very next verse says, "It was God who reconciled the world to Himself through Christ." And I think God is still doing that. He just wants to invite us to be a part of it, you know. And as you said, it's one of the most rewarding things you can ever be a part of as a follower of Jesus, is to see someone come from death to life. And to bring others along that as well, um, it's awesome, and yeah, it's my hope that more and more people get to experience that. And yeah, that's that's all really. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's awesome. Oh, hey, thank you for spending this time with us. In your busy schedule. It's been a delight. I'm glad that you're able to pencil it in. Um, and yeah, that this has been a really, really fruitful conversation. I know it's been encouraging for a lot of people. It's definitely been encouraging to me who is the cynical half of this conversation. Third. <laughs> third, yeah, third. Sorry, that's true. I, I, I am outnumbered here. <laughs> the uh, optimism is taking over. Somehow, <laughs> the hope always comes through. It's yeah. so annoying. <laughs> no, it's been great. Thank you, Lockie. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks and so much. Um, yeah, can't wait to see what uh, God does through the rest of your ministry in the future. It's really, really Thanks, guys, for the opportunity. Yeah, as I said, you've you've been a blessing to my life and I hope this conversation has been to other people also. But um, yeah, keep shining for Jesus. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Oh, so good. Hey, well, um, hey, reach out, guys. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, if you think Lockie is completely deluded, we'd love to hear about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Know. Um, and you're like, no, we should just be cynical of the church all the time <laughs> or critical. Tell us. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, or you know, or if you really agree with this, this has resonated with you. Um, yeah, send us a message. Um, you can track us down online. Um, we're, our online presence is a little bit, it's a little bit scattered. A little bit scattered at the moment. But Google us. Google. Yeah, us. you'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll. We'll, <laughs> I believe in you. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll fix it. But um, <laughs> yeah, we um, yeah, we always love to hear your thoughts. That's like our favorite part of the podcast is putting these conversations out there, but actually getting feedback and starting conversations around this stuff so we would love to hear from you even if you just send us a dm um yeah it'd be so good so thank you all for listening anything to add jesse nothing at all nothing at all
mean to go there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a hater either. <laughs> All right. Okay, everybody, stay optimistic. Stay beautiful. We love you. That is Josh, Jesse, and Lucky out. <laughs>